This is Priya Kangujam, is an environmental activist from Manipur, India. On December 11th of last year, she marched onto the plenary stage as COP28 came to a close in the United Arab Emirates and demanded that leaders acknowledge the state of emergency we are in and the fact that there's no time to waste as millions of people are already being directly impacted by the climate crisis and the situation is sure to get worse. Although she admits that COP28 was 99% a failure, as most of these UN climate summits have been, COP will have a central role in determining our collective future, so it has to be changed from a fossil fuel summit into an actual climate summit, where the right priorities and a sober assessment of the sort of investment that will be required take center stage. The example she gives is the early agreement at COP28 on a loss and damage fund for the nations in the global south that are now and into the future most impacted by climate change. She says that the loss and damage fund is obviously a good idea, but it could still turn out to be an empty promise, especially if the amount of investment promised by the wealthy nations who are most responsible for the situation remains so pitifully low. It should be said that Lissipria is among the youngest prominent climate activists in the world at 12 years old and is in many ways a model for what's possible when it comes to young people getting involved in climate politics at the local and global levels. So while she's addressed world leaders at multiple COPs, she's also been campaigning for climate action and climate education in India since 2018. She's a visionary, by the way, in this regard. She's stated many times that there can be no climate movement without climate education. There's been a really moving push to make climate education mandatory in India, in no small part because of the organizing that Lissipriya has done. In this conversation, we cover a lot of ground, and that includes talking about the climate disasters that drove her to get involved in the movement. We talk about the implications of comparing her to Greta Thunberg, which she rightly sees as reductive. More than anything, maybe, we talk about the conspicuous lack of political will at the highest levels of power and their disregard for the people most affected by the emergency. The disruption that she decided to create in Dubai could not have happened, she says, without the love and support of her compatriots in the climate movement. They gave her the courage to push powerful people, committed as they clearly are to dragging their feet and running out the clock, to act now. Lissipria insists that she's not a member of any particular political party, and that that protest came on spontaneously. What's important to her is the truth, and so she's focused on changing the dominant mindset. Protesting for her is a kind of last resort. She's been forced to protest constantly, to learn how to fight in a world on fire, and she's gotten good at it. But she feels like she's been robbed of a childhood as a consequence. Thankfully, though, there is more positive energy and more concentrated anger in the climate movement now. She doesn't have to do it alone. Young people are getting radicalized by the reality and then acting as a source of inspiration to others as they demonstrate how you can demand a better world. I think a lot of people were very inspired by what you uh, uh, did recently at COP28, the kind of courage that it took to do that. Um, mm -hmm. you, you decided to, 
I think a lot of the media kind of described it as you stormed the plenary stage, right? Um, right. And, you know, that was a beautiful moment at a time where it felt as though there was like a real lack of like urgency, uh, that right sense of emergency at the international level. So, you know, when you when you storm the stage, you you were demanding phase out, right? You said your action today will decide our future tomorrow. We're all we are already the victims of climate change. I don't want my future generations to face the same consequences. Um, did you want to just kind of describe what that moment felt like for you, and 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 yeah, like the kind of courage that it did take to to make that decision? Well, you see. It, it just came suddenly in my mind to do that protest, to do that disruption in the high-level plenary session of COP28 because I was really, really frustrated and mad by the lack of political will by our world leaders. You know, seeing them that they are ignoring our voice and trying to just, you know, fail another COP, another, again, you know, and, and not listen to what we're saying. So I was really frustrated and mad at that point. So it was a sudden, so it was a sudden uh, thought to protest and, you know, just barge in and disrupt that high level session. And when I did that, uh, I was doing that because I just wanted them to hear out my voice, to hear out the voice that I'm representing of those millions of poor vulnerable people and children who are the victims of today's climate crisis, but are not responsible for this. They're innocent. So this is unacceptable at any cost. So we want the climate justice now and that, you know, there is science behind the just result of uh, fossil fuels. So we need to, and, and then again, reminding them the urgency of, of, you know, of doing it as soon as possible for keeping our temperature below 1.5 degrees Celsius, you know, before it's too late, before before our Earth is going to die, because we don't have any planet B, we only have one Earth. And in that Earth, you know, we are in the front lines, even though we're not responsible for this. See, so we wanted a just phase out from the fossil fuels, which is the coal, oil, and gas, the top causes of today's climate crisis. And to do that, I again said that our our governments must work together to manage a just transition from the fossil fuels to renewable clean energies. And that's how we're gonna get a temperature below 1.5 degrees Celsius and you know do it before it's too late and as soon as possible. And then after after, so it was the second last day where I did this disruption of the COP28, and then the next day I returned to India as my visa was over. And then uh, on the day after tomorrow, they extended another day in COP28. And then finally, you know, it was 99% failure of COP28. It has become, uh, you know, a fossil fuel summit, you know, a climate summit, the fossil fuel summit. It was a complete devastating failure that I could have never imagined. But what can we say? It it is hosted by a fossil fuel leader, uh, mm -hmm. and and you know after making a day extension of COP twenty eight, according the event to fifteen day event, uh, you know my voice was heard, our voice was heard, uh, and they adopted to make a just transition, uh, you know, to clean renewable energies, you know, to make a complete just raise up of fossil fuels from twenty fifty 
and double the renewable clean energies by 2030. So yes, I did the protest. You know, it's you know it's everyday thing. We do a lot of protests because that is our last option. We the climate activists. Yeah, I think um, you you and others moved these leaders, and it is about like moving these leaders um, to a place where at least finally they're acknowledging, right? Like that fossil mm -hmm. fuels yeah. are at, at the foundation mm -hmm. of of so much of it, but. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I just, I love the, the kind of vision too, that you communicate that, you know, we need to move in that radically different direction. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you were asked after the protest about the kind of consequences and you, you said like the continued use of fossil fuels will cost millions of lives. And I think like just the, cl the clarity of, uh, the way that you communicate is really powerful. Um, and I wondered, you know, will you go back to COP next year? I mean, the ne the next COP is another fossil fuel summit. It's an oil rich country, and Azer uh, Azerbaijan um, produces almost nine hundred thousand barrels of oil a day, um, mm -hmm. and is in a war with neighboring states. Do you think that you'll be like? Do you worry that you'll be blacklisted and barred from the next COP, or are you ready to go again, or are you conflicted? Of course, I'll go again. You know, uh, you know. Uh, let me tell you this: like, after making that disruption, the UN police took my badge and mentioned in me that this will be your last cop. You know, uh, you will never ever going to attend any other cop from now on. So this is the last cop. Even though they threatened me, um, I I will go to the next cop and to the future cops as well because I'm not scared nor worried at all because. This is the stake of our future. You know, the outcome of the COPs, not only COP28, will decide the future of our planet, will decide the future of those millions of children and people living in this world. So, mm -hmm. so yes, I will keep on, keep on, you know, uh, going to other COPs, even though it might have become into a fossil fuel summit, a greenwashing summit, but we will keep raising our voice until we achieve our goal because we are unstoppable and another world is possible and change is possible. So even though it might have become a fossil fuel summit, you know, in the next other future COPs too, like next year, COP20, nine in Azerbaijan we will you know keep raising our voice until it is again turned into a climate summit you know fossil mm -hmm. fuel summit to climate summit and we will keep barging in you know disrupting a lot of many uh sessions protests climate strikes until they listen to our voice until it, it is turned to a climate summit until our goal is achieved so I'm not worried, you know, I've taken a lot of risk while doing that, uh, you know, that disruption of COP28 too, but I don't care. It's for the sake of those billions, millions of people who are living in this world who are not responsible. So yes, I will keep fighting until my last breath, until, until we achieve our goal. And yeah, I mean, that's amazing. And, and you know, it has to be a mobilizing message um, that you're just going to keep going, that you keep pushing. Um, one of the things that has been talked about as a win for the climate movement is the the promise of like a loss and damage fund or money for climate adaptation. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, people who live in the global south uh, who are, as you say, not responsible right? Uh, quantitatively not mm -hmm. responsible for this emergency um, are seen as sort of almost like the beneficiaries of that climate loss and damage fund. 
do you see it sort of diff differently where it's like it's it's not something that you sort of um I don't know it, it's something that you demand not not merely something you deserve right like money for climate adaptation is almost a kind of moral obligation for the p most polluting countries in a way mm -hmm. You see, yes, uh, in, in COP28, it was a big win for the global south, you know, as you have told before, as you said now, that, you know, the loss and damage fund adaptation by the rich country nations. Well, it's a good start, but it's still not enough. You know, <clears throat> creating a loss and damage fund, you know, is a good idea, but if it remains empty, it, it, it is useless. It's completely useless. So even though it was a big win for the global south, we don't want it in millions, but in hundreds of billions. And you know, we shouldn't be speaking this out. They should know that they should do this and they should do it right now with their real money. It should not be the ones who will, you know, us, the global south people who are, who are innocent, who are not responsible for today's climate crisis to be asking for the climate finance. They should know this, themselves and not make us remind them you know again mm -hmm. and again that we want the real money now we don't want it in any form of loan or debt trap we want you know right. uh, you know the the real money now and not in millions but in hundreds of billions if they want to give us the climate justice yeah and i think like the other thing too is like in terms of climate mitigation um you know countries in the global south are developing countries as they're sometimes described like they, you know, ought to be paid to leave their fossil fuels in the ground as well. I like, I, I, I think economically speaking, it's hard for a country that um, has oil reserves or coal reserves to, to decide uh, we're not going to develop those resources, but they need to not develop those resources. Um, economically, I think wealthy countries ought to be paying for those resources to stay in the ground. But anyway, um, you have campaigned for environmental justice since you were six years old. Uh, you know, I don't know what I was doing when I was six years old, like probably just like playing Nintendo, right? Uh, I wanted to ask about the roots of your activism in uh, fighting air pollution, especially, but also like biodiversity loss responding to climate disasters like, uh, I guess, mm -hmm. Cyclone, Cyclone Titli and the Kerala flood, uh, what were the kind of social or like psychological impacts of those events? And what kinds of positive things did you see in response to them? You know, I ask because I don't think enough people understand what it feels like to experience a climate impact directly, uh, even though obviously many more are feeling it. So, you know, not not six, but but ever since a young age, not just Cyclone Titley uh, or Cyclone Fani in 2018 and 19, not just the air pollution or the heat wave crisis. I faced a lot of other climate crises, climate disasters in my young life. And that turned me into a climate activist because, you know, I was one of those people who were suffering. I was one of those children who were suffering in reality. You know, the climate crisis, which people talk about, you know, that this is the worst impacts and we are facing it one, you know, um, even though we're not responsible for this. So ever since a young age, how did this impact to me was by, you know, you know, lots of thoughts, you know, popped up in my mind that why is this happening? You know, ever since I was a young age, 
I have I have lost my own childhood life because of the failures of our leaders. Because so this is unacceptable at any cost. And after getting those thoughts in my mind from a very young age, I started asking these to my mentors and teachers, and then started working towards you know a better environment and a better future, and you know to save our planet and our future. And to stop this, you know, to stop the climate crisis, mm-hmm. even though I I shouldn't be doing this at all. I I should be playing with my friends. I should be studying. I should be attending my uh, tuitions. I, I should be attending my schools and and mm-hmm. spend time with my family. But mm-hmm. instead, I'm going to different events. I, I I'm 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 coming out on the streets, protesting in front of the Parliament House of India. Why? because mm-hmm. of the lack of political will it's because of the failure of our leaders and i don't want the future generations to be facing the worst impacts again because of their inaction and empty false promises mm-hmm. so even though i have lost my own you know beautiful childhood life i don't want other thousands of other hundreds of other children to lost theirs too because of the uh, you know lack of political will of our leaders so uh so i will i will keep fighting you know uh, you know un- until my last breath until until i achieve this goal which is to have the basic rights to clean air to breathe clean water to drink and clean planet to live yeah and i mean it's just like again really striking to hear you say that you'll fight to your last breath i mean we are talking about mm-hmm. the ability to breathe clean air for like mm-hmm. in a very real sense and in terms of air pollution obviously um you know new delhi is one of the cities that has the most one of the you know most intense forms of air pollution it's like it's hard to breathe and for that reason you invented uh the is it how do you pronounce it the sukifu yes sukifu um this device uh i guess alongside uh, a professor named uh chandan ghost uh, you know, it's been called a symbolic survival kit by some media yeah. sources, but I think it's it's more than that for you, right? Um, what's the sort of legacy, in a sense, of the Sukifu? Do people use it? Was it mostly symbolic or was it like an actual attempt at, in a way, climate adaptation? Well, yes, it is a very symbolic device to me. And my device, Sukifu, which is survival kit for the future, sends a strong message to all the world leaders that they have to act now. Otherwise, our future and our planet would be dying soon. So I made the device, I made the symbolic device, you know, to send out this strong message that they have to act now. We have to save our planet. It's, it's, yes, it was, it was for the air pollution, but I was also sending this big message, you know, to the, to everyone, not only our leaders, you know, that they should be knowing about this problem and we must change our behavior to save our planet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, something else that you said a minute ago reminded me, of course, of like um, Greta Thunberg saying that, um, you know, she shouldn't be here. She shouldn't have to fight. Um, and the comparisons between you and Greta uh, were maybe inevitable, but the way that they're made is clearly like kind of insulting, even even a little bit infuriating. Um, and I like that you've expressed kind of anger to some extent, despite the fact that like Greta Thunberg is a friend of yours and a, and a comrade, as it were, in the climate fight, mm-hmm. you know, you've made it clear that you don't like the comparison, that <clears throat> it's deleting your story to do it. To me, it's a little bit, 
not a little yeah. bit, a lot insulting to just describe you as like India's Greta. Like it's just like a news media thing, but it, it there needs to be more thought uh, put into just deciding to um, look at you as like a, a, a another version of Greta Thunberg, um, especially because you started the child movement before uh, Greta became active in the climate movement. So it, like, I don't, I don't know. I wondered if you wanted to talk at all about those comparisons, your friendship with Greta Thunberg, and maybe, you know, why you think this thing of, of describing you this way seems to keep happening despite like your stated resistance to it. Well, I don't know why it is keep happening to me, you know, you know, comparing me, me with my friend, with my sister Greta Thunberg, uh, we are good friends. Uh, we're still in touch. But I just want to say to all these media people here that I, that not only to the media people, but to everyone in this world, that I am Lissipriya. I have my own name, my own identity. And you can't just call me Greta of India, Greta Thunberg of India. I am Lissipriya, Lissipriya of India. Yeah, I mean, and I think the issue in a way is like, you know, your idea of leadership, it's like, it's this, it's this assertion of like, you know, I care, I care. And, you know, like, the the media wants to focus on like stars in a way, right, on celebrities. Um, and mm -hmm. so their, their view gets really narrow. Where do you think the like what do you think the status of the climate movement is now like are people connected are they committed are you worried that the movement because some people talk about how like the movement kind of reached its peak in 2019 2020 before the pandemic uh when you were protesting outside the indian parliament do you think that there is that same degree of um energy and collective power in the climate movement are you at a point where you can feel the sense of like things are happening, we're, 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 we're gaining momentum, or do you feel like it's still, it's still not clear whether you have that momentum? Well, I feel there are even more people who are, you know, who are having even more courage, who are, who are more into this fight, you know, fighting for our own future and our planet. There might be some people who are also saying that we have reached the peak already. And, yeah. and 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 I don't I don't and they're like they they are they're absolutely not into this kind of thing anymore. So so that's the negative side. But there's more yeah. into the positive side. If, uh, if uh, in my opinion, because you see, uh, you know, uh, people say that climate activists like me and and other other my friends have inspired them and, and, and to the inspiration and motivation that we have given to them. There are even more children coming out, you know, supporting our movement. And, you know, it has even increased a lot of number of, of people, of youth, of children have also increased in this climate movement. So yes, it, it is going pretty well. And, and, and to that, you know, uh, increase in the number, our, our, our voice is also, you know, getting heard, you know, like for example, that disruption I need, it, mm -hmm. it, it wouldn't have been possible without this love and support from the people. You know, my my courage wouldn't have been there. So yes, uh, they've started to listen to our voice. It's not only me who did that disruption. It's because of that of those uh, many other climate activists who are, who are also 
uh, protesting, who are also raising out their voice for the same cause that we have. So mm-hmm. yes, it yes, uh, I I feel there is a sudden change in the climate movement, which is the increase in number of people and having even more courage to fight again and again until their last breath too. Mm-hmm. Not only mine. And like uh, you know, part of that is absolutely the way that like you know folks in your position kind of derive courage from other people in the movement but then i think also like the the ways that actions like the one you took at cop 28 encourage others um so i think there's just this kind of ripple effect that's happening um but part of it too is like there's there's a role for what's sometimes called climate literacy right and climate education Mm -hmm. And I know you've right. been like super active in India on uh, mm-hmm. making that mandatory. Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder, yeah. yeah, just if you wanted to talk about the the role of climate literacy and climate education and building the movement, you've said that there is mm-hmm. no no climate solution without climate education. Right. Uh, you know, what did you mean? And have you seen any success in that part of your campaign? Yes, uh, well, what I mean in, in climate literacy, in climate education, is that, yes, uh, I'll say it again, there will be no climate solution without climate education. So mm-hmm. we need climate education if we want to save our planet and our future in time, because we have no other planet, you know, no planet B. So I have been campaigning this for, for the last many years, you know, uh, uh, ever since I started my... Um, my activism, I, I, I've campaigned this, you know, for many years. So in that campaign, I have been sending letters uh, and uh, to the Indian government uh, to make climate education as a subject, not in a subject, but a subject mm-hmm. mandatory in, in every school education curriculum to every state in India. And and uh, I will I will give you the example of, of two states of India that I have sent the letter to include climate education. Well, you see, uh, the Rajasthan and Gujarat government have already included climate education as a mandatory subject, you know, in their school education curriculum after my after my request to them, after I sent them the letters. So more than 150,000 schools are now uh, studying climate education in, in their schools. You know, children are, are studying climate change, climate crisis that we're facing today. So it has been a big change. And, and, and I'm keep on pushing it forward, not only to the Indian, other Indian governments, but, you know, to also, you know, and also after that, many, many European countries and even the United States of America also have the uh, education education as a mandatory subject. Uh, but still, I, I'm also, you know, whenever I'm meeting a world leader or I'm using social media or writing letters, I'm always, you know, convincing them, telling them again and again to include climate education, you know, because that's also one of my goals. And and I'll mm-hmm. keep fighting until I achieve my goals, until yeah. we achieve my goals. I mean, it's like such an important kind of pillar of, uh, in a way, just transition. I mean, like, I love that. Uh, and, and I mean, you know, again, just inspired by the kind of, uh, the sense of direction that you have um, and how informed you are like it's it's amazing um, I was curious about your sense of the need for solidarity between young people 
And yeah, maybe especially like your sense of the need for solidarity between young people in the global south. I mean, I know that you made trips to countries in Africa, for example. You know, did you encounter mm -hmm. other young people who who really talked about like wanting to join the fight? And is that sort of solidarity between different countries and communities in the global south itself a source of hope for you? Yes, uh, you know, uh, I have been inspired by many climate activists, you know, to make me join in this climate movement. But there has been other many people, many children and youth who have been inspired by me too and by my other climate activist friends. You know, whenever I interact, you know, with with uh, one of my you know Global South people, my friends, they have the, uh, one of them told me that they have never really had the courage to be in the climate movement. But mm -hmm. but after they saw my work, after they saw how I had the courage to do it. They were really motivated by it and and you know they also had the courage you know by getting inspired by hearing my voice so that's a big change you know in in people's heart and, you know i've changed their mindset you know mm -hmm. from being from being scared to being you know to having courage you know we're taking the risk of our planet and we have to take risk as, as much as possible you know if you if we want to achieve our goals Mm -hmm. So, so I, I think, I guess, I feel that I have inspired many of them, not only in Africa, not, not only in global South, but not only in my country, India, but also uh, the global North people too, even though they are responsible for what they're facing, they're also trying to convince their governments to, you know, to, to fight because they weren't really having that much courage before, but after seeing all our works, they have been just so inspired and, and I can see the change, you know, while, while hearing their words, mm. you know, while interacting with them. So that's a big change. Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, again, like that story needs to be told. Um, and I think, too, like the story around you like selling tea and coffee in a market stall to raise money mm -hmm. to go to COP27 needs to be told. And yet, like, you know that story of just like resilience and determination um has been a little bit like i don't know about overshadowed but you know i was reading about the some of the news media reports on like these accusations against like your father and these kinds of things and obviously like this is a sensitive subject i don't know what's going on with all of that um but it's something that has been reported on i don't know if it's you know something you want to talk about at all or whether like, you know, these accusations are part of, you know, the, the state of India is is cracking down on activism in general, right? Like yeah. there are these allegations against Arundhati Roy, for example. Mm -hmm. um, I ask basically because I think there are many activists who are concerned about how these accusations are gonna impact and affect your important mission, right? Mm -hmm. um, and kind of skew the story in some ways, which should be a story I think of, as, as I say, like, determination, hope, um, being driven to change the world. I just want to say to those people who are trying, you know, that that uh, first of all, if I come to the uh, government side, our, our governments always, you know, people always try to politicize our voice in India because they really hate the fact that we are speaking the truth. It's not like I'm with some party or the other, you know, and, and, and doing what they're saying. No, I'm, I'm just speaking out the truth. 
So it is it is really unacceptable at any cost that they are trying to politicize our voice, uh, and to and to silence our voice too by threatening us. You know, I've even been detained a lot of times, but you know, as a minor, they can't arrest me. So that's what I have an advantage as a climate activist. And you see, you know, speaking about my father, he has nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do in my climate activism. You see, people, you know, many, many people are against me with what I'm doing and always try to mm. criticize, like, it's your parents who are handling your social media, dot, dot, dot. It's them who are sending you out to these conferences, you know, mm. to make their name and everything. They have done everything for you. But... That's not true at all. Mm. Why are they saying that? Are they? I don't know why. I don't know why. The thing is, I love our mother nature, and what's 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 wrong with loving our mother nature, and what's wrong with taking care of our planet? I don't know what's wrong with their these people's mindset. We gotta change there. You know, it it is very very rubbish that they have this kind of mindset this kind of behavior to even even criticize someone who's just working who have taken a lot of risk i have taken a lot of risk you know uh you know uh if you talk about the cop 28 i have been detained i have been taken out i have been kicked out they took my bash i got threatened what am i doing this for i'm doing not for myself but for you people who are criticizing me so that is rubbish and they should just shut their mouth and and I, I think they should just know that what I'm doing is, is for not for me, but for them. But I, I never fight with them because, right. you know, I, I don't care what they're saying. I'm just doing my, you know, they should just mind their own business. Right. Uh, and, and my father is completely not what I'm doing. You know, even though he might have done some wrong things in the past, let let the people punish them if, if he right. has done wrong. Yeah, it shouldn't. I, I don't get it. Yeah, it, it it is rubbish, as you to use your word, um, to tarnish a person's reputation uh, mm. when, like, the the reputation that you have built that declares a kind of commitment to like world altering positive change um, needs to stand on its own. I think, and if it isn't allowed to stand on its own, then what are the kind of like underlying uh, motivations, the kind of ulterior motives? Um, that are leading people to try and yeah like uh, attack or undermine or whatever right like I think for the most part what I have seen is a, a, a narrative that says you know uh, you are a person that decided what was happening at the world level was unacceptable um, and and disrupted it for for like in, you know incredibly like almost heroic reasons <laughs> that like you don't want this to be the course uh, of, of world history and for people to can be consigned to these kinds of climate impacts, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say, not that I need to tell you this, keep going um, and don't listen to the haters. Like yep. they, they're gonna hate, they're gonna do their thing. Um, you know, obviously, I mean, a quarter of the people who attended COP28, a quarter of the people were fossil fuel lobbyists by some accounts. So we are up against enormous obstacles there's no question mm -hmm. but you are showing what's possible when you keep pushing the fact that a, cl mm -hmm. a climate change law passed in parliament you have installed climate edu education as a mandatory subject i mean you and others right have demanded this successfully planting 3.5 million trees moving to active transportation replacing coal with renewable energy 
I mean, like you've articulated it really powerfully, this idea of a clean planet as a basic right, you know, and a love of nature, which as you say in your, your TED talk, without nature, there's no food, there's no growth, there's no security, there's no future. Um, so, you know, I, as I said, I don't need to tell you to keep going. You're going to keep going. I just wish you the best. And, um, this, this was a question that occurred to me. Um, like, what was it like to come home and receive a sort of hero's welcome? Must've been good, right? <laughs> well, you see, I just told him to the people that, you know, the feeling I, I was feeling really happy that that people, you know, supported me in the fact that I did the disruption instead of being on the other negative people's side. Like, right. like many people also tell me that you're doing this for fame and, and stuff. But but I just wanted to say to them that that, uh, no, not to the people of my my village, but mm. to the others small side, negative side of the people that the world already knows me. So I'm not doing this for fame. Right. Uh, yes. Uh, and and to the people who welcomed me, you know, and the reception and everything, I'm really thankful to them because, you know, everything I did in my journey, in my activism would have been impossible, you know, you know, where I am today, it would have been impossible without their love and support. So I was really thankful to them. And yes, I was really happy when they welcomed me and, and, and were really supportive in what I was doing and, and were keep on pushing me forward, you know, giving me all these positive, uh, giving me all these positive mindsets that keep on going and we need to succeed. We need mm -hmm. to achieve our goals. So their love and support was really great. I'm really thankful to them and, and I, I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the cynics who say it's all about fame don't know what real leadership is, I think. Um, and you're mm -hmm. showing you're showing what real leadership is. Um, yes. Thanks again for talking to me um, and, and keep mm -hmm. up the keep up the fight. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care.